Hi, you're listening to The Capable Podcast, a five-part series seeking to understand and promote the strength, ambition, and greatness of young women in the city of Milwaukee. There is a plate that sits in my kitchen cabinet that I made in preschool. My family often laughs about it, since it always seems to be at the top of the pile. On it is a chef, poorly drawn in pink marker, along with my name, which you can just barely read. Apparently, five-year-old me wanted to be a chef. Now don't get me wrong, a chef is a worthy profession. But thinking back on my aspirations as a young girl, I don't think president or senator or even head chef for that matter ever crossed my mind. Why is this a feeling that many women can relate to? Why do women only make up about a fifth of Congress? For the first episode of The Capable Podcast, I spoke with Marquette University's Dr. Amber Wachowski, an assistant professor in the Department of Political Science and director of the Marquette Democracy Lab. We discussed what the research shows about women in politics and other leadership roles, and what we can do to fix this gap in participation. Men and women show very different um, propensities to be interested in running for office, what we call kind of political ambition. Women only constitute a fifth of, of Congress, just under a quarter of state legislators, a small fraction of governors. And we haven't seen the gender gap close much in terms of elected office. This is somewhat puzzling because women actually vote at higher rates than men do. In terms of women's educational attainment, women are outpacing men in recent years. Education is one of the biggest predictors of political engagement. And so it's a bit of a puzzle if rates of voter turnout, of education, are um, are closing and in some cases for both of those women are outpacing men why are so few women running for office and a lot comes down to, I would say two two things one is political socialization although it does not appear the there's very little evidence that women face an electoral penalty when they actually do run for office but we know from survey research that women express much less interest in running for office. They are um, less likely to express confidence in their own abilities, um, to perceive greater obstacles and costs to running for office, and they're also much less likely to report that they've been even asked to kind of consider running for office. We know that part of the underrepresentation of women in elected office comes from differences in political socialization. What are the sorts of factors that can help close that? It's Some of it's just simple. It's our young girls talk to about politics. Is politics part of the dinner table conversation or not? Girls' participation in sport is a predictor of their um, having greater kind of political confidence and interest, all else equal, which uh, is interesting in terms of well, what is it about participation in sport that might then be increasing young women's kind of political ambition? And this comes to the, to the crux of the socialization difference in that young girls today are still really socialized to be conflict averse. We know from kind of survey research that young, um, young girls, adolescents, are more likely to express interest in cooperative endeavors and to really shy away from things that are perceived to be hyper-competitive or conflictual. Well, that's politics. Research also suggests that even women's participation in classroom settings or work meetings is determined by social factors. 
And this points to why women usually speak less in certain places. This came out of observations at things like community meetings, school board hearings, faculty meetings, that women were less likely to speak up. And it appeared, and there's some some good evidence, that even when they do speak up, they're given less attention in terms of the length of response from, say, a male elected official. This question about, like, what does that deliberative environment look like for women? And it's all part of this, like, broader kind of socialization piece. And so this finding finds, it's kind of two really interesting things. One, having more women in the room does increase women's likelihood of kind of speaking up. So numbers matter, but it turns out numbers aren't everything. And in fact, when so you can imagine taking two classrooms, one uh, classroom has lots of women in it and men are in the minority compared to another classroom that might actually be more evenly mixed. The average woman in those two classrooms is actually going to speak a little bit less when they're actually the overwhelming majority. Women actually go to great lengths to kind of make room for others to speak. It does not appear that that exists in the reverse um, situation. So, so numbers matter, but they aren't everything. But it's also kind of how we make decisions. And this is the really cool part. In spaces where it's majority rule, you know, where you're gonna take a vote at the end of the day, it doesn't seem to be empowering to kind of women's engagement in, in deliberative contexts. But when you say, okay, instead, we're going to, we need to come to a consensus. It turns out women respond. They are more likely to speak up. And it turns out that the issues that they bring up tends to change the dynamic of a conversation. Uh, evidence that um, those sorts of deliberative contexts not only change how women see themselves, but also how men respond to women in the room. This kind of also links this idea about uh, a cooperative frame. There's some really interesting experiments of adolescent girls when the assumption is that politics is this very adversarial endeavor. It's all about kind of competition and conflict. But we know that isn't just politics. In fact, politics often requires working with others to find solutions to problems that affect us all. And so it involves a lot of communication, deliberation, collaboration. And when you kind of broaden a discussion about politics on those terms, it increases young girls' interest in politics. So what would change have to look like in order for women to start seeing themselves in leadership roles from a young age? What are the most important pieces of the empowerment puzzle? Role models. This is like one of the biggest predictors. When young women see other women in office or in those kind of public spaces, it changes their sense of kind of what's possible for them. Yes, you know, we Hillary Clinton did not win, but the fact that we had this very prominent, visible woman out there winning the nomination of the major party, winning the popular vote, falling short when it came to the Electoral College, that matters. And I envision that that is changing how young women are seeing uh, themselves and their possibilities to be political actors themselves. So the role model effect is huge. It It's a little bit of a chicken and an egg. We know that the presence of a role model can increase young women's political ambition and political confidence and political efficacy. 
but we also have too few women in office. And part of why we're not having more women in office, what I mentioned before, kind of women are more likely to perceive higher odds, higher costs to running. So the other thing that can change is that political elites, political parties can do a lot more to reach out to women, to encourage them to run, um, to build those networks. This isn't just leadership roles on the national stage, but it's everything thinking about participation in in leadership roles here on campus, in your local community, in your state. Um, There are a lot of opportunities. Special thanks to Dr. Wachowski for her insight. That concludes episode one of the Capable Podcast. Each episode, I will end with a quote, this time from Hillary Clinton's 2016 concession speech. To all the little girls who are watching, never doubt that you are valuable and powerful and deserving of every chance and opportunity in the world to pursue and achieve your own dreams. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next time.